Good evening and a very warm welcome to Crescent Church Online. If this is your first time with us, we want to make you especially welcome tonight. Thank you so much for joining. We've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes over the past few weeks, and it's been a really interesting time looking at a complex, sometimes confusing book, but I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Tonight we're going to be looking at the topic, Making Sense of Injustice, and that's obviously a tricky topic, and we're going to be turning to chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes to try and dig into that question. But before we begin, Alex Cullen is going to open in prayer for us, and after that we're going to sing King of Kings, accompanied by the Crescent Church musicians. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this time where we can come together as a church to open up your word and learn from it. We thank you, Lord, that in a world of sin and injustice, that you are a fair and just God. But we know that in order for you to be just and righteous, our sin has to be punished. We acknowledge that the wages of sin is death, and there is nothing else that we can do to pay that price. So we pour out our praise and thanks to you, Lord, for sending your Son to die on the cross and to take the punishment that we deserve. When we are met with situations in life that are unfair, help us to be reminded that you alone are the sovereign judge. Lord, as we look to come out of this lockdown, we pray for our leadership, both in Stormont and in Westminster, as they seek to make decisions for how we deal with the awful damage of COVID-19. We pray that the correct decisions will be made on how we can move forward and that we as the public will do our part to suppress the impact of the virus. There are going to be a tough number of months ahead, so we pray, Lord, that you'll be with those in our congregation who are feeling the effects the most. Comfort those who are dealing with loneliness, job loss, illness or bereavement. May your strengthening hand be upon them. Help us to understand that even though times are tough, that you and you alone are in control. We pray that things will return to a semblance of normality in due course. We are thankful for this time we can spend together, learning from your word and worshipping you. Be with us for the rest of this time, in your son's worthy and precious name. Amen.
Good evening. Earlier this month in China, a man was sentenced to seven years in prison and fined over £20,000 for selling Christian books. Last year in China, over 5,500 churches were destroyed, closed down or confiscated. Closer to home, the number of victims of modern slavery in Northern Ireland almost doubled in 2019. The authorities identified 91 victims, 16 of whom were children. These victims can be hidden in plain sight, often working in places like farms, car washes, nail bars, food production sites, domestic settings such as cleaning homes or providing childcare. Others are tragically the victims of sexual exploitation. And often these people are powerless. They earn little or no money for the work they do, and they have minimal freedom of movement. They're under the control of their oppressors. And these are only the identified victims in Northern Ireland. There are likely many more unknown to the authorities. And this is a, a prosperous nation, relatively prosperous, and it has a small population. If you look worldwide, it's estimated that there are over, there are over 40 million or around 40 million people who are trapped in modern slavery. And one in four of those are children. I was really quite shocked as I looked through some of those statistics. The world is full of pain and suffering. I'm sure you are fully aware of that. We, we hear it on the news all the time. We, we look around us, we see friends and family members going through incredible pain. It's all around us. Oppression is real. Maybe you don't feel the weight of that right now. Maybe it feels detached from your reality. Maybe you don't feel oppressed, but it is real. And that example I mentioned from China, well, actually hostility to Christianity, hostility towards Christians is growing in the West. In the not too distant future, it may be that our churches are the ones that are being closed down. It may be that, that we are the ones being thrown into prison for our faith. Already, some are losing their jobs because of their Christian convictions. The reality of oppression may be a lot nearer than we anticipate. And the reality of oppression certainly wasn't lost on the writer of Ecclesiastes, this amazing and complex book we've been looking at over the past few weeks. Let me read from chapter 4. In chapter 4, the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes writes these words. He says, again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive, but better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. You see, the teacher, this individual credited with these words, he recognizes that life under the sun is full of oppression, pain, and suffering. And he's wrestling with that reality. We've learned that that phrase, life under the sun, which occurs 28 times throughout this book, means life without God, life in this material world, life under the horizon. 
and the teacher is trying to figure out that you know if this is all there is, if this is all that there is, this material world, if there is no God above the horizon, then what's it all about? What's the point of it all? It all seems so meaningless, so futile. He's trying to get his head around it. He's trying to use his logic to wrestle with that idea. If there's no God above the horizon, what's the point of it all? And it's a, it's a bleak book in many regards. Only very occasionally do we see him, if you like, punch through the clouds and, and recognize that there is a God in heaven. And at the beginning of this chapter, he looks around him and he sees people hurting in this material world. He sees tears rolling down their cheeks. He sees these people who, who are powerless in the face of their oppressors. And he sees that tragically they don't have any comfort. And his conclusion is that actually those who've died are better off than those who are living because they don't have to face up to the ugly reality of this world anymore. And in fact, he goes so far as to say something very dark. He says this, it's even better for those who haven't yet been born because they don't have to experience this evil world at all. They don't have to experience man's inhumanity to man. He almost wishes he had never been born, is the impression you get. And so in these verses, the, the teacher despairs. He sees life under the sun, life in this material world, life without God as meaningless, as hopeless. There's no justice, he seems to conclude. And there never will be. There, there doesn't seem to be any hope of reform or transformation in the teacher's words here. It's a hopeless reaction. It's a despairing reaction. And it's certainly a reaction we can have and, and we may be tempted to have towards oppression. We can throw our hands up in the air and say, what a terrible, messed up world we live in. I wish I was dead, quite frankly. I, I, wish, I, I wish I had never been born. Maybe we're not quite as extreme as that. Maybe we say, actually, uh, I just want to isolate myself from, from the cruel reality of life. I want to live in a, in a safe little bubble. And maybe we try and ignore the fact that there are victims of, of modern slavery in Northern Ireland. We hesitate to, to wipe the tears of the oppressed because we'd rather insulate ourselves from the reality of suffering. And I'm speaking to myself here more than anyone. That's a problem for the government to deal with. That's a problem for Stormont to deal with. Not for me, we tell ourselves. And that's, that's certainly a reaction we can have to oppression. It, it, it's a common reaction, I think. But as we'll see, it's not a godly reaction. It's not a Christ-like reaction. Moving on to verse four, the teacher seems to become a little bit more practical. If you like, he puts on his sociologist's hat and he starts to try and analyze some of the reasons why oppression is so rampant in society. Academics love to do this. And look, there's certainly value in it. There's certainly value at looking at society and, and trying to understand why things are the way they are. God has given us minds. He's given us the capacity to reason and to work things out. And it's important that Christians are applying their minds to these things. There, are, there is value in it. And, and his desire uh, seems to be to really get to grips with the way things are. So in verse 4, he writes, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The teacher recognizes that this inhumanity, this oppression, the destructive nature of man 
Well, it stems from somewhere, and it stems from our envy of one another. Envy, it's, it's this ugly thing, that, this resentful longing for what someone else has. And our response is to do whatever it takes to get that thing we long for, even if that means trampling over the top of someone else in order to get there. You see, so often our envy is the thing that leads to oppression. It leads us to mistreat other people. Maybe it's that job title you've wanted, supervisor, manager, CFO, CEO, whatever it is. Uh, maybe you spread some gossip about a, a potential rival for that, for that role, or you just talk them down a little bit to ensure that you have a kind of one-up on them. Maybe you run your business with a, with a ruthlessness because you see a competitor down the road and they seem to be doing just a little too well. And so you're a little bit extra ruthless to, to ensure you remain competitive. It, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, you tell yourself. You see, our envy leads to oppression. Moving on down the passage to verses 7 to 10, the teacher picks up on another socioeconomic reason for oppression, and it's one that is also strikingly modern, putting profit before people. And in these few verses, that the teacher tells us a story, uh, and it's a tragic tale, actually, of a self-made man, a man who, who seemed to be a workaholic. Uh, there was no end to his toil, we read. I'm sure you can think of people like that, people with an insatiable ambition and desire for, for career, for profit. Yet the tale is so tragic because the man was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. He'd worked himself into the ground, but it says his eyes were not content with his wealth. He'd prioritized the accumulation of wealth over relationships. And where had he found himself? He'd found himself isolated. He'd cared more about profit than he did about people. And now he found himself alone. And, and the lesson, one of the key lessons we can learn from this is when people are given less value than profit in our lives, we lay the groundwork not only for loneliness, loneliness but also for oppression. Human beings become dispensable. We don't feel we need them. And so, in all likelihood, this, this individual disregarded family and friendships because profit was his God. Human beings become dispensable. And the results are bad for everyone. They're bad for the man because he has all this wealth, but he has no one to share it with. How lonely to have wealth and nobody to share it with. And so the teacher concludes, meaningless, a miserable business. Jumping on down to, to chapter 5, we read further reasons for this evil of oppression. In verse 8 of chapter 5, the teacher writes, if you see the poor oppressed and if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over both of them are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all, and the king himself profits from the fields. And here the teacher identifies the problem of systematic corruption. He says oppression and the denial of justice and rights, well, it's something we should expect. We should expect it because of the layers of bureaucracy, one layer upon another, each of which is taken up, absorbed with its own self-interest. How relevant is that? How familiar does that analysis sound? 
In almost every organization, government, uh, businesses, or wherever you look, people are primarily focused on themselves. They're primarily focused on their own self-interest. 